Welcome everyone to Audiobooks from Hell. I am your host, Sean DeRager. I'm very, very excited about today's conversation. In the booth with me today, uh, well, not te- technically in the booth, uh, it would get kind of crowded, but uh, Travis Baldry is with me today, and I'm very excited to get a chat with Travis. Travis, welcome. Thanks, Sean. I'm booth adjacent. Booth adjacent. <laughs> yes. Uh, my my kind of journey into meeting you and kind of getting to know you was basically uh, I was just starting out. I still feel like I'm just starting out, but I was just starting out in the audiobook game. And uh, you had posted, hey, does somebody want a free audiobook of this book uh, called Talon? And I was like, well, that sounds great. And you said something about that's a bar- space barbarian with a plasma axe. And I was like, that is, uh, that's my genre for sure. So I grabbed that. <laughs> right after I... Beastmaster every day <laughs> yes. at uh, 7, 6 Central. Yes, yes. So I, I grabbed that and I listened to those books and fell in love with those books. Me and uh, A.A. Warren struck up a friendship and then I ended up uh, taking the reins as, as Talon in book three, which will be out soon. So very interesting journey with uh, with, you know, meeting you and kind of a, you know, all this stuff kind of falling in, in, in our laps. And you've been, I mean, from, you know, your video games, uh, de- developing video games with Double ja- Damage Games, uh, Rebel, Out- Rebel Galaxy Outlaw being the newest one, um, all the way to, you know, your relationship with uh, with William White and his series and how well uh, that series is, is, uh, has been. So I figured I would have Travis Baldry and talk about uh, your journey into audiobooks because it's, you know, me following kind of your progression um, it seems, and this is just me looking from the outside looking in, it seems like a lot suddenly, you know, it just started rolling like a snowball effect with, with your work. So when did you, when yeah, did you start like getting into, yeah, when did you start getting into audiobooks? <laughs> Nearly four years, I think, mm-hmm. I think somewhere around about there. <laughs> I feel like that's what it is. Yeah. It's about four years. Mm-hmm. And um, what was the, what was the catalyst to kind of bring you into it? Was it um, a dare? No, no. You know, I was, um, what was it? I, uh, I was doing, um, recording for game stuff mm-hmm. and I was getting some microphone equipment because as we went into the next game, I wanted to improve the audio quality of the stuff that we we're doing. And I ended up, you know, doing a lot of voice work for it and it was a crappy USB setup. I mean, it was junk. Um, so I actually bought some proper equipment for doing it for the next, for the next game, because I wanted to elevate the, the overall audio quality of everything that we were doing. Um, and I would have people come in and do recordings. And, um, as I did that, I was like, well, my kids don't really need me to read stories to them anymore. And I did it all the time. Mm -hmm. And then I found, um, ACX and, um, oh God, what's the public domain one? It's escaping me. Um, uh, LibriVox. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did like a couple of shorts on LibriVox just to kind of figure it out, um, just to see how I liked it. And I really enjoyed doing it. And um, then I did, I think I did like one or I think I did two books before I had a booth just to try it out. It was down mm-hmm. in a corner of the basement and I took like an old microphone stand and I draped a blanket over it and put it behind it. And it was truly <laughs> awful. Yeah. Um, and um, then I would, I, I kind of, we were going to do a ton of audio recording for the game with a ton of parts and I was going to bring people in and I didn't want to rent studio space. So I ended up buying a booth. And once I had a booth, I started doing a lot more and uh, did a few books on ACX then started doing some for Tantor and then just kind of progressed on from there. 
So um, initially it was just because my kids don't want me to read to them anymore, though. <laughs> really. Well, and, and you were doing this along with uh, the video games, right? You're ju juggling both. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, because I've so been developing. Your, you know. <laughs> your company was it your company or it's yeah, it's my company. I, okay. I, uh, my, I have a I have a partner who who okay. owns it with me, but yeah. Okay, so you're doing you're juggling the video games, which is already uh, like just an intense, you know. It's uh, a lot of work. <laughs> it's a lot of work. work. It's not a, and it's not like a predictable kind of work. It kind of mm -hmm. really long, intense stretches because unlike audiobooks are great. Your project is not going to last more than one or two weeks mm -hmm. and then it's done and that's it. Mm -hmm. And you know, you can predict how long it's going to take because it's like a solved problem. Maybe you have to learn a dialect or maybe you have to tweak an accent, but you know, it takes this long to do this thing, you know, mm -hmm. give or take. And games are not like that at all. Games are like, I think we can get this done. I'm not ex exactly sure how we've do it, done it. We're going to do it. We've never done it before, but I'm going to guess that it's going to take this long and this much money to do. And then you're inevitably wrong. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, uh, you know, several years later, hopefully you finish and crawl across the finish line. So it's really different. It's really different. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a weird thing to juggle. And I'm glad to be moving to a point where I'm not going to have to juggle it so much anymore. <laughs> mm -hmm. The one thing that I really appreciate about you and kind of how you approach the craft of, of audiobooks especially is um, because you're kind of technically minded, um, because you kind of solve these problems, um, you have done a few kind of, you know, for help of other audiobook narrators, a few little videos, and you, you don't mind kind of showing people kind of your process. Um, and that's something that I really struggle with because, um, number one, uh, I just, like most of us, we're used to just uh, talking behind the, in the booth, behind the mic with no one listening. You're putting yourself out there to kind of show your process. What do you, what, what's, I guess what, what, uh, what pushes narrators to want to do that? Because I struggle with it. Because I don't know so, enough yet to really showcase what I'm doing, but I kind of like it, but then I also hate it. So I'm an engineer, mm -hmm. which, so I'm pretty, pretty process oriented anyway. I hate mm -hmm. wasting time. Um, and I don't know, I generally feel pretty strongly that it's, I hate watching other people waste time too. <laughs> it hurts me in my heart. Right. So, um, and you, you can't, you're never going to force anybody to do things your way, but if you can provide them with information that, you know, takes some pain out of their lives and lets them, you know, discover a way to work that maybe works better from that for them, then I think that's generally pretty rewarding to do. I just, it just makes me sad to watch people flail around when they don't have to. Um, and because the, the amount of time that you can save yourself if you do really streamline and tweak your process is, is exceptionally large. And mm -hmm. if you're just doing audio, I mean, that's real money that you save yourself. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming, you know, part of the reason for you doing that was, um, I mean, you juggling, you know, a couple jobs, you know, you have, you really, and I'm running to that right now, um, being home all the time. I really need to find ways to really maximize my time in the booth. And mm -hmm. uh, it hasn't, my ways haven't been working. And I'm like, I need to revisit some of Travis's videos because the way that I'm working right now isn't, uh, isn't cut. I mean, <laughs> a lot of it is because I'm just an incredibly impatient person, just unbelievably impatient. So I don't, anything that I find tedious, I generally try and find a way not to do it. Cause it's just, I just think it's boring. Mm -hmm. You know, um, mm -hmm. I, all the time I spent reviewing my own audio to do edits, you know, just irrespective mm -hmm. of, of 
a proofing just to go and clean up noises or or whatever. It was just such a fantastic waste of time, you know, and now I don't do it at all. And the amount of hours you save is just unbelievable if you don't have to do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, there's lots of cases where you're never in a position to do that anyway. You work for a publisher, you're not going to do that. But I, um, I don't like outsourcing my engineering for the most part mm-hmm. because I know how I want it to sound and I can make it sound that way. So I find it difficult, especially since I can do it relatively swiftly to do that. And the cost to do it, if you know how to do it, and if you yes. can remove a lot of that time, is not, it's not insignificant. That's not that I want to take work away from engineers, but there's, there's plenty of work to be engineered. I just happen to be in a position where I don't have to do that. Um, so I like, I like that shortcut. It also just means that my overall project turnaround time is considerably faster because yeah. you send something out for proofing and engineering, it's weeks right? Yep. If you only have to send it out for proof and your engineering was done when you recorded it for the most part, you cut a really significant amount of time off of your project turnarounds, mm-hmm. which is great. Um, especially if you're doing a lot of indie books and you're doing them for small pubs. So since I do a lot of game lit and lit RPG and fantasy stuff for directly for an author or for a small publisher like Mountain Dale or Athon or whatever, being able to cut down those turnaround times is pretty great. Um, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And and you kind of have it down to your process down to a science where you're, and I've watched it, like you're kind of scrubbing things, taking out noises, redoing things really quickly, like as you go. So basically when, when you are done with a chapter, it's for the most part, pretty much, uh, you don't I mean, I run my stack it. on it and, you know, I run second opinion <laughs> right. to make sure, and, you know, you paste on your, your room tone in the appropriate yeah. locations yeah. Uh, front and back, but it's basically done. And, you know, I might have, after I've run my stack, something that is maybe very shy of the of like the the rms range and just needs a little nudge mm-hmm. um but it's deterministic which means that this doesn't matter how you change the audio since it doesn't use normalization if you run the stack on a piece of audio it will come out the same you could run it on any subsection of a piece of audio and it will always mm-hmm. come out the same which makes things really consistent and really easy to predict and since i'm not mastering for other people and i don't have to worry about their voice and i don't go anywhere <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's I'm kind of set yeah yeah, that's 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 that's, uh, that's fantastic, and, and like I said, it's something that I've really kind of been pushing myself to really get down um, with with my projects because right now, you know, they're all for author or indie publishers. Um, mm-hmm. Nothing with the major publishers yet, but um, but like like I said, like my 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 plan, you know, my my plans down the road. We got a couple years to go here, you know. I'm just kind of slowly crawling towards the the goal here, but. Um, so I want to talk about the genres you've been working in because that's one of the reasons why I, you know, as a, before even we even had met, I kind of gravitated towards your work. And um, so I, I jumped in and started listening to you with uh, A.A. Warren's Talon series, uh, the, the first two books there, mm-hmm. and absolutely love them. Um, I gravitate towards narrators who have very distinct voices, and I think that your voice... Um, uh, it has a very distinct tone to it, very distinct. And even even the way you, you know, formulate phrases, it's a, it's that's Travis Baldry. Like, there's a way, and that's what's great. That's what I love about a lot of these uh, narrators that I, listen, that I listen to. Matt Godfrey, same kind of um, same kind of thing, where I can tell a Matt Godfrey narration immediately. Um, and that's what I really loved about about your narration. I mean, speaking of, didn't didn't he post today on, on Facebook uh, on R.C. Bray's page? You are you were listed. Oh, as no, Matt, a, Matt posted that. Matt Godfrey posted <laughs> yeah. that. You were listed as a, a narrator that uh, R.C. Bray's listeners listen to when they're not listening to R.C. Bray's. That's 
That's, that's pretty. Well, it's a I'll feather take, in your cap. It, but... <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so anyways, so I got in. You know, like I said, I got into you with science fiction, and um, you know, with science fiction, there's a lot of the grav the the gravelly voice in science fiction. R.C. Bray, of course, but. Um, yeah, I've got nothing on R.C. Bay's, Bay's gravelly voice. You know? <laughs> but uh, but you have um, but it's also very um, you have you have many layers to your voice. You can do many different things with it, and you've kind of gravitated a lot lately more towards kind of the gamelet, right? And fantasy is as far as the newest releases that I've seen. I do what, a lot of cultivation, which kind of slops over into fantasy mm-hmm. and musia. Uh, um, uh, so the Will White stuff is is basically cultivation fiction. Yeah. It's you know bodily improvement. It's distantly related to Chinese you know cultivation fantasy. Um, Tao Wang stuff mm-hmm. is also very specifically you know Chinese cultivation fantasy. But that tends to include a lot of fantasy elements. So I do I do a lot of that. Um, and once I started doing Will stuff, I got a lot more of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I started doing Game Lit within the last year. It actually took me a while to get around to doing it, which is a little weird, but it did take me a while to get around to doing it. I think the first stuff I really did was with Mountaindale. It was, um, mm-hmm. I think the Chronicles of Ethan was the first like real gamelet stuff I did. And now I just do a bunch of stuff for Mountaindale. <laughs> and I love working with them just because they're fabulous human beings. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it just kind of spreads out from there. So, um, yeah. and I enjoy it. I mean, I like, I like the variety a lot. I, yeah. I like a lot of variety. So um, I would do almost everything if I could get it, <laughs> people tend to generally, I have a book that's like this book. Who's, who's somebody who narrates this kind of books. Oh, I like them. I want them to do this book. I mean, that's usually how most of, most of my work comes to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I get more variety probably from someplace like Tantor, um, or maybe podium because they're more like looking at their stable of narrators and then picking somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, but still it's mostly speculative fiction. That's mostly what I get. I'm just going to say speculative fiction because it's that broad <laughs> range of, you know, fantasy, sci-fi, horror, whatever. Yeah. I wish I got yeah. more horror because I love horror. I really enjoyed doing it. Well, but, I mean, you, you may have a chance with Joe Hempel's new uh, new venture here. Yeah. Fireside horror. So, yeah. 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 No, more more horror, the better. And that's, and that's one thing that I've kind of been um, struggling with. Not really struggling, but kind of trying to make sure that as much as I love horror and um, I'm trying to really kind of cast my net out in the genre spectrum to kind of include a lot of science fiction, some fantasy, and kind of have that spectrum because um, I think I want to say that helps. Like with certain, there are certain narrators that fit into a certain genre. Um, Like we've mentioned R.C. Bray, like that's like, he's kind of like the definitive science fiction, military science fiction narrator. I mean, like, any any genre you can get your stake in the ground in, that's a chance that somebody will see you and say, I liked what they did with that. I want another of those. Mm-hmm. I mean, I if somebody brings me something that is outside of like what I normally get to do, I will usually try and find a way to fit it in if I can. Um, mm-hmm. I just did uh, Comanche for um, Brett Riley for, for um, B. And... I, it was because it was a Western horror, mm-hmm. like ghost story almost. It's not, I, nice. I wouldn't classify it really as horror. It's like Western ghost story, um, and a modern Western ghost story. Mm-hmm. And it was a lot of fun. I had a great time with it. And I just kind of squeezed it in at the last minute because they needed somebody to do it. And it wasn't something that I normally get to do that much of. So 
I was all over that. Um, nice. And the more things I get like that, I, I will almost always try to find a way to cram them in. <laughs> how how does your work process go if you if you're cramming something in? Is it uh, um, so is it usually, like all right, I got to cram this prep session and I got to you know? So usually I have, I usually book uh, one day for three hours of audio plus two days, mm-hmm. usually. Um, and that usually gives me, at least right now in COVID times, I would probably do it a little <laughs> bit. I would do it a little bit broader if it wasn't COVID times and I had an idea when the weekend was. Right. Um, and that gives me a little stuff. And I can usually squeeze things in. Maybe plus three days is probably more accurate. Plus three days. So I give my three, three, so three days of slop in between every project. Mm-hmm. And so I can usually push and pull and contract to scram- cram something in as long as it isn't like, you know, some 16-hour effort. <laughs> right, right. Um, and so that's generally how I've tried to just plot everything out because my schedule goes out a long way and then just make little holes as I go along um, when I have to. Mm-hmm. But there's only so there's only so far you can bend that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's also uh, people, especially when you schedule far out, people tend to like miss their own dates. <laughs> yeah, this this happens a lot. So a manuscript won't be ready on time, and I'll have to kick it down the road, and then all of a sudden there's a gap, and I shuffle things around and take advantage of the gap. I just kind of expect that about twenty percent of the books are going to miss a date if they are from independent authors mm-hmm. and they aren't written yet. If they've already mm-hmm. been written, I don't assume there's going to be any motion. But if they're still being written, there's a good likelihood, especially in COVID right now, that it's going to get, it's going to slip. Yeah. So I'm just mostly trying, I try to be prepared for that to happen as best I can. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm with me right now. I'm just because I'm working full time. The kids are in school, being home, there's school at home right now. Mm-hmm. I'm right now, my, my process is just holding on, chipping away at my projects staying in contact with all the authors, everyone that I have things booked with. And, um, so far so good. Everyone's been, we're all kind of, we're all kind of juggling, um, yeah. right now. And thankfully I don't have anything with any hard set deadlines and, and the ma- major publishers like they would, that would get first, first priority, yeah. of course. Um, do you ever have and, like a, pu- a publisher come and say, Hey, uh, we need this in three weeks. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yes. Or two. Yeah. Comanche was one of those. Comanche yeah. was like, uh, we need this by the end of the month, you know? And normally, you know, I, I wouldn't have time, but I made the time um, just because I wanted the book. And it was, I think it was like a nine hour book. Mm-hmm. So it was something that I could find a way to fit in um, with a little a little extra work and a little creative scheduling. Yeah. Um, I probably do. I don't work for like the big five publishers at all. Yeah. And um, it's so the Podium and Tantor are the, the kind of like the the kind of the middle scale publishers that I work for. They're, they're both fabulous. I love working with them a lot. Um, and then I work with smaller publishers, which are usually owned by a couple of individuals. So like Mountain Dale and Athon and, and um, uh, Shadow Alley and mm-hmm. publishers like that. And then, then there's like a tier of authors that write regularly that I do stuff for like uh, Tao Wong or um, Jeffrey Kohanek, um, people like that. And uh, so I have kind of like these these strata of of how they schedule and do things. Mm-hmm. You know, the further up you go, the more the more cemented the schedules get. Right. Um, right. Because they're regimented further out. Usually, the script is already edited and done before they even talk to you. Um, mm-hmm. It's just a longer time scale. But the more into you get, the shorter the timeline is. 
hey, I'm finishing writing this next week and I'm going to release the book three days later and let's get the audio done, you know, <laughs> as quickly as possible after that. A lot yeah, of them yeah. are, are on that kind of schedule. Yeah. So you try and get it done as close to that as possible so that they can capitalize on it at release. Um, anyway, it's kind of like a, a sliding scale of, of, of how yeah. they operate. I yeah, think and I have, I'm probably like 60% indies, maybe 40%. Okay. Like publisher. Yeah. So uh, I want to talk a little bit about Will White and your relationship with him as, as the author. And, and cause you've done a, a, gosh, you know, his whole series here of, um, I think I've done 10, 10, 10 books for him. The so cradle. Far. So the cradle know, series. That, that and the Elder Empire, yeah. And I think yeah. I'm starting the 11th soon. Yeah. And it, I think it's really cool when you kind of meet an author and really connect. And I've had a, I've had a couple of those. Um, when did you start kind of, when did you first kind of so meet I just, him? When did that, I, how did that get, get rolling with Unsold? You Unsold was just Unsold. on ACX. I just, I just, okay. I just auditioned on ACX, just like anything else. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then I ended up talking to Will on the phone. And they gave me the book. I really enjoyed it. And we just kept rolling. Because there were, at that point, I think five books out. Okay. I want to say there were five books out. And so we were just like, okay, we're going to roof. We're going to do them all. And eventually we caught up and then started doing them, you know, at least close to release. And then Audible Studios picked up the rights from them. And now I kind of have like a three-way relationship between <laughs> audible studios and will um so will has a, a publishing company it's called hidden gnome and his family works at it largely not just his family but like his dad so i've talked to his dad billy um and uh they're just fabulous people they're down in florida they're amazing i love working with them they're just wonderful genuine lovely human beings that are a pleasure to work with so I totally lucked out in getting to work with them. And also it happens to be a book that a lot of people love because Will is a fabulous writer and writes mm -hmm. great characters and writes really compelling and extremely readable fiction. Um, um, he's, uh, he actually, he went to school for creative writing. He went, he actually has a degree in creative <laughs> writing. So he's very, he's very regimented in the way that he writes. He's really thoughtful about the way he assembles his stories. They are well edited, well tuned narrative machines mm -hmm. um so it's it which means they're a lot of fun to narrate too yeah um and he writes great dialogue and great characters so fabulous um <laughs> anyway totally luck on my part though yeah totally yeah. luck that's great no and that's and that's how i feel you know the authors that i've really connected with and know that i'll have kind of a long-term relationship with it's all just kind of luck of the draw um you know with one like for example, one uh, book that I just picked up, um, the the author had put it on ACX, and I was like, "Oh, I've seen that advertised," and I kind of hit her up, and I was like, "Well, I don't have much room on my schedule, but I was, I was like, I'd like to help you find a narrator," and I kind of threw the link out to people, and uh, <laughs> she came back and said, "Well, can you audition for it?" And I said, "Well, I, I guess I could, you know," and and I did, and she I really guess. liked the I guess fine, <laughs> I and she guess. really she really liked it, and you know, and she's like, "Well, I'm willing to wait, you know, until whenever you can get to it, but I I would definitely love to have you narrate this." And I'm like, and I said, you know, as long as it doesn't mess up any marketing or anything like that, you know, if you want to wait, great, you know. So it just you know, random, completely random. Which um, book was that, or can you say? Uh, it was um, Behind Blue Eyes. Behind Blue Eyes. 
is it still it's still pending? Is it still on your schedule? It's still pending. Yeah, I'm uh, say penciled it in for December. It's by I need to, and I need to ask her how to pronounce her last name. Um, Anna Mossacat. Anna Mossacat. I want to say, but I need to, I need to ask her how to pronounce her last name. But it's uh, so it'll be my it'll be my second cyberpunk um, nice. book, which I love uh, love the cyberpunk genre. So. Uh, you know, but yeah, I mean, genre, they just, we, you kind of find those genres, I guess you really like. And I, and I've noticed with you, um, the, the, the books that I like listening to you narrate are the ones with some like grizzled, sarcastic lead character who's seen some shit. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I mean, I like them all for different reasons. Yeah. So I like those. <laughs> you know what though? I would do, if I could get more, if I could get some sweet romances, I would be all over that shit. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I might not be supposed to swear on this. Of course, we can swear on this. This is my this is my podcast. Uh, I mean, you know, like from from Talon uh, to Death Rites. Uh, really, you know, enjoyed that that book. Things like that. Um, you know, I I don't know. I just I'm sarcastic. I like, myself. I like those kind of characters. They have a lot of bannery bannery yeah. dialogue, which is usually really enjoyable to do. Banner dialogue is just a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, especially if it's well written. Um, and even if it's only okay written, you can kind of turn the dial up a yeah. lot. <laughs> yeah <laughs> with a little work um so i really enjoy that stuff um i but, but honestly i enjoy almost everything mm-hmm. i think there's there's almost always something that's really that's really fun to latch on to so um but i too i do i do like snarky characters they're always fun <laughs> you know definitely yeah i mean um let's see here um yeah i'm the same way uh i i, I, I tend to find those when I'm working on a book like that, it's faster. The guy kind of move faster. I'm kind of into the story more. But I mean, as narrators, we have to stretch our legs. We can't just get comfortable uh, with just doing the same thing over and over again. And that's kind of something that I've purposefully tried to do as far as scheduling my projects. Um, do you do anything like that, or is it, uh, or do you just? Kind um, of... So in general, I schedule things as they come. Right. And then I try to, as like I said earlier, just make room for stuff if I can that that really specifically interests me or I want to spread out and do more of. Um, but generally, I try and do everything kind of a first come, first serve. You want this done? Cool. I will do my best to do it. Here's when I can work on it. Let's mm-hmm. get it scheduled. Let's get it on the books and then roll on. Um, there's there's a lot of ongoing series work. The more series you do, they start to stack up, and sometimes mm-hmm. you don't know when those are going to come, so that can be kind of a little unpredictable. Um, oh, hey, the next one in the series is coming out. Oh, crud. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would like to get that out fast for you. <laughs> um, because I think it's often hard as an author, especially if you're indie, knowing exactly when you're going to be done and remembering the lead time mm-hmm. for getting audio completed. Also, it's it's hard for that to be in the forefront, if, especially if you are also a an author who's doing it as like a second job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you know, a lot of the authors I'm working with are all kind of in the same boat, and some are, you know, more organized than others, and it's uh, yeah, it's very very similar kind of working. I'm really impressed them. with how regimented a lot of the authors are. Mm-hmm. They they are they stick to their word counts. They get their stuff done. They write on a schedule, mm-hmm. and they and they pump out books at just an unbelievable rate. Um, I got a lot of respect for that because I can't imagine having to drag that much up out of the mud every day. 
and make it real. It's a lot easier to come along and be, you know, the the booster rocket or something for the yeah. audio version where you yeah, didn't definitely. have to engineer the thing. You just have to, you just have to give it a little English. <laughs> yeah, totally. And I, I, you know, I, I find, I find the writing process. I'm very, I, I love it. I don't know if I could do it or not, um, but I have this huge, profound respect for the writing process and the, and the, the words that they have put on the page because, you know, they've, I think the one, one uh, recent book that I did, Revenant Son, he'd been working on it for five years, you know, it was off and on, yeah. you know, and finally the book's out and here I am just coming along and, you know, just, just well, reading on this for know. a week or so. And <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, definitely. I feel we kind of get to skip in toward the end. It's, it's, yeah. it's great as a narrator. <laughs> it feels unfair. <laughs> Otherwise. <laughs> um, I think it helps to have an interest in writing when you're narrating. I think it's, totally. I think it makes it easier to see what an author is trying to accomplish to make sure that you are pushing in the same direction as they're trying to go. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it definitely helps to, to care about the writing process and appreciate yeah. it and, and have an interest in it. I like writing, but I'm not going to be writing any novels. Right. I mean, cause we're, we're, we're giving voice and interpretation, you know, via the spoken word of their story. Yep. So there's definitely, we're kind of, custodians of the story in a sense because you can give the wrong inflection and change the whole you know narrative or you know if you if you if you do it wrong well, or, can, or just very to, easy to change the meaning of a sentence with inflection yeah, yeah. you know and um and and i think intuiting what the author wants to do and figuring out the tone that they're trying mm -hmm. to establish and what these characters would really say is you know it's, it's totally a developable skill but i think it's largely rooted in caring about literature to some degree. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's talk a little bit about, uh, about Talon, the, the Talon books, because I got put sure. into a position that a lot of narrators fear <laughs> in taking over a series. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I know that I had told my, I had told myself, I'm never going to take over a series. Forget that. I just, there's just no way. Um, but then when, when AA Warren came to me and was like, Hey, Travis is really busy. I don't know uh, if I want to push out, you know, this anymore. Would you think about it? And uh, I said yes <laughs> immediately because I love the the book so much. And uh, I, that I think was a very um, eye opening kind of experience, kind of jumping in to, you know, kind of in my mind, um, yeah. audibly, a, an established series characters, the main character, especially this guy Talon. My voice is very different from Travis Baldry's. I'm, you know, I'm not, I, um, I had, I, after I accepted it, I all of a sudden had like, you know, a lot of insomnia <laughs> preparing for it. <laughs> um, and then the, the best thing you did when we talked was just like, have fun with it. That's it. Yeah. And I talked with, uh, with, with Andrew about it and he said the same thing. And, um, but I wanted to be like respectful, like as the fan and as a fan and listener, like not for it not to be like this crazy, you know, 180 away from what had been yeah. established. So that was like, I kind of had a lot of fun messing with that, um, messing with that process because I, when I was first starting out, I would be, I'd try to get in the voice of talent. I would, I would go, oh, I'm Travis Baldry. <laughs> like so many times to just get the uh, just just saying your, i don't know it was just saying your name would get me the into the talent mindset it was uh really bizarre um but it i think it worked we'll see it's uh, we're waiting on audible right now to release it so um a, a it's one of those interesting things to do because 
you don't, I mean, you're, you're never going to sound, I've, so I've done this several times now too. Yeah. Um, and you're never going to sound like the other person. It's, no. I think it just really gets down to who's the character and is your impression of the character the same? Right. Like does the, does a listener come away and say, oh, that's still the same character. Maybe they cast a new dude to play him. It's like if somebody gets replaced, you know, on uh, as a, as like a superhero, mm-hmm. you know, who played, if th- it's still effectively the same character. That character was established in the comic books. They have an mm-hmm. expectation of how they act and how they sound, you know, but obviously it's going to be a different actor playing them. So as long as the essence of the character right. makes sense to the people who are listening, that should generally be enough. Um, but I've had, I've been in the same position several <laughs> times now recently, and it's a weird position to be in. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I imagine if I came in and was like, I'm, I'm telling like that. Yeah. Then if you suddenly made him a would... British guy, you know, <laughs> and people mostly have get upset issue. about accents and overall pitch and character tone. That's really mm-hmm. what they, I think they mostly get yeah. annoyed with. It's because the, you know, the common refrain is, well, it sounds like they didn't even listen to the other book. And obviously it's unrealistic for most people to go listen to the book when you're going in to narrate it. You don't have right. time to go through, uh, okay, this was a six book series and there are 400 <laughs> characters. No, I didn't listen to all of them. Yeah. Um, uh, so I, I had to do something similar. Well, it was weird, but I had to make a decision on what to do recently. So um, I do a series from Mountaindale called Artorian's Archives, which is a parallel series to Dakota Crowd's Divine Dungeon series. Okay. Um, which was narr- narrated by Vikas, Adam, and eventually mm-hmm. Luke Daniels. Luke Daniels took over for Vikas. So okay. there's already two renditions of wow. all of these characters. And, and Vikas is very the, expressive. Vikas, and they don't sound anything alike. <laughs> as as voice yeah. actors, they don't sound anything alike. And their takes on the characters were also dramatically different from book to book. And um, I believe it was written into the fiction as, I think, magical synesthesia. I, I, hopefully I didn't get that wrong. <laughs> um, to explain the change, because it was like people are hearing, due to this effect, voices differently. Okay. Um, so That's funny. Artorian's Archives is a parallel series that eventually meets up with the exact same timeline as the books and the other series, and all of a sudden suddenly 30 characters jump over from the other series into it. <laughs> um, and I was really worried about oh it God. because there were already two versions of all those characters. So I did like, here was my, here was my, my thought process. Okay. So there's two ways that people are going to, they're going to notice these characters. They're either going to have listened to Vikas's version first, mm-hmm. and then they're going to listen to mine. And they may have heard Luke's, but they'll have heard Vikas's first. And some percentage of them won't have made it all the way to the end. Or they'll have heard mine first, and then they'll switch over to the other series and start with Vakas. And um, so I made the decision, okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and respect Vakas's take on them. So what I did was I went through all of the audio, oh got all God. of the scripts. I had them give me four or five books worth, five books worth <laughs> of audio, found voice samples, pulled them out, and then said, okay, what would I do that at least will be recognizable as this character? Mm-hmm. recorded them all, got somebody who was a fan of the audiobooks to listen to them <laughs> and tell me what they thought and whether it got it across or not. And I altered, I think, two, two characters a little bit after doing uh, that. And then I used that as the template. Oh, my God. So far, no one has complained. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all you want. You just want, just, but, please don't, just don't complain oh, about it. 
Now, I don't know if I normally do that, but it, because it was a well-liked yeah. series that already existed that I had to meet up with that wasn't going to replace it, I felt like, okay, we'll try and do this. Um, wow. Currently, I'm doing a series for them again that's just, oh, I'm taking over for Luke Daniels. And originally, I was just going to take over after the first book. So he did the first book, was not going to be continuing on with the series through scheduling or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so I was just going to do the subsequent books. But then eventually I decided to re-record it. So I'm currently re-recording it. Wow. But still, I, I'm, not as, I'm not as specific about it. It's like in places where I can nod to it, I will. Mm -hmm. But I'm not going to be slavish about it because at the very least I get to start from the start. But there's still going to be some percentage of people that listen to the first book from Luke and then we'll listen to my second version of the book. So mm. I want to ease the transition a little without making it too jarring. Fortunately, almost everyone in it is from America, which helps. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a crazy position to be to be put in. And uh, I mean, mine was just minuscule compared to what you had to go through. Holy crap. I couldn't imagine doing all that prep. Uh, but I mean, it makes sense. I would probably have the same process because that was kind of what I was thinking with, with Talon was I was like, well, Luckily, only three characters, I think. It's like, there's not that many recurring over. characters. Yeah. I mean, so I was like, okay, I was like, well, that's great. Uh, Talon is, you know, space barbarian. Okay. Yeah. He's a grizzled space barbarian. Great. And uh, then you had kind of a bring back, you brought back a character from the first, uh, no spoilers yeah. here, from the first book. Yeah. Um, and your, you know, your take on that was like, well, you know, kind of a hard ass, but, but a bit sarcastic and bubbly and at the same time. And then you had the kind of uh, another more serious character and i was like okay i can it's not my whole goal was like if i can do those three characters and at least get the essence of them across i think we'll be good because everything yeah. else alien voices and all that kind of stuff that's that's the fun that's the fun part so yep. yeah definitely there's a it's so weird it's so weird <laughs> it's all weird I guess it's it's all, what, what we do is weird what we do is you know we're all sitting in our little uh our little booths and, and talking to ourselves and reading these books. Um, I love how different it is from, from project to project. Totally. After coming from something where I spend three years working on the same thing until I loathe it, um, <laughs> being able to work on something briefly, get in after, frankly, a lot of the hard work has been done, uh, mm -hmm. right. <laughs> have fun with it and get out is really refreshing. Yeah. It's pretty wonderful. Yeah. I, I, I love it. I love, I love doing this and, um, so I got to start wrapping up here soon, uh, okay. but I wanted to talk about, uh, we need to talk about this because it won an award. Uh, you were nominated for an independent audiobook award as, uh, as well as I was as well. You were nominated in the, in the fantasy genre and, uh, myself in the horror genre and, uh, you won, uh, best fantasy audiobook for the electrical menagerie. Yeah. That and, was uh, Molly Reader's book. It was a yes. lot of fun. So it was a lot of fun. A little bit about that. Um, I mean, the cover's amazing. It's yeah, like well, the weird thing like is when I, robo... that cover came after the narration. Oh, it's like a robo-elephant? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The cover came <laughs> after the narration. She basically relaunched the book okay. later. Um, it had a, a much simpler cover, I think, when I auditioned for it, even. Mm -hmm. But I was just interested in the vibe of it. It was kind of this steampunky, steampunk magical adventure thing with kind of like a clean sort of feel to it. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was attracted to that and wanted to do it. And fortunately the, the audition worked out. Um, and it was a, it was a real pleasure to do, um, kind of has like almost like a, what's a, it's, uh, it's got this, I don't know. The, the main characters were just very clear to me. You know, you've got kind of like this Paul Newman-y sort of 
um, guy running the running the show and his uh, um, James McAvoy sort of. Uh, I don't want to say what is it. He's he's kind of like a engineer slash magician that mm-hmm. works with him and their their relationship together. It was um, it was a really pleasant book to do. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, I can't wait to hear it. I, I have it. I have not. I'm behind on my listening, um, but I I will be listening to that very soon. I'm, I'm unbelievably this. far behind on my listening. <laughs> I have no commute anymore. Uh, uh, yeah. I know. Uh, and uh, yeah, you can't listen to audiobooks this, while you work on audiobooks. Home, it's a real yeah, no, you can't. To audiobooks as a profession. So, and I, you know, my day job is drawing an AutoCAD, and and I I try to, but I'm home, so I have kids running up and down the stairs. Mm-hmm. I got kids yelling at each other. They're in school now. Now they need help with something. My wife's there too. So like my wife and I are both kind of tag teaming, helping the kids in school and doing our own jobs at our own house. It's absolutely not a lot of not a lot of listening. Bonkers, bonkers yep. right now. So. Um, do you, we'll, we'll end on, we'll end on this because I'm, I'm a very visual person. And when I'm trying to, you know, when I'm, when I'm in the mood to browse for possible projects, um, I am very taken by book cover art. Um, then they, they do say, you know, you should never judge a book by its cover, but, but you um, totally should. you totally should. Uh, what's, what's your approach with, uh, with, with books? I love a good book cover. I think a cover is indicative of how much effort the author is going to put into their book you know Mm -hmm. if honestly if while book covers cost money they don't cost an unattainable amount of money Mm -hmm. um and having a decent cover is i think just part and parcel of writing a book and it's just kind of indicative of are they going to be able to market this do they care about their book for the long term and so it's it's like a first pass filter for me yeah it's got a if it's got a decent cover then it means that, you know, some, some, some things have been checkmarked along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can start looking at, you know, you look at sales figures after that and how it's written and uh, whether they have a public presence and whether they interact with people, that kind of thing. So, yeah. Yeah. That, that, and that interaction is key too. And that's something through my, just my year, about a year being into this um, and just seeing what books have done well, what books haven't, because we're, you know, we're working here on royalties with some of the stuff and um, the, the interaction with fans, just presence on social media um, has had a direct correlation with books I've seen sell well and books that I've seen that I like that have not sold well. So it's, yeah. um, so yeah, awesome. Awesome. Um, all right. And uh, one last thing I did, you know, the, the, the podcast is called Audiobooks from Hell, and I forgot, I bypassed all the horror stuff you've done. So I wanted to just hit a couple things really quick. You did a, a Charles L. Grant book for Jackals. Crosswood. Crossroad Press, Jackals, yes. Yeah, Jackals. Jackals is actually a lot of fun. Yeah, I actually had that on my shelf, uh, the paperback of that. Um, And then uh, there's a book called Lost, which is kind of a a thriller, but it came out in the, like, 87. Um, But Mm -hmm. if you look at the old paperback covers, the ones that I love, uh, it's definitely... A little more lurid. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's, uh, I mean, they're just odd. Like, the, the old, the 80s cover, it's like... You know, some kid looking scared through like sh- a shattered mirror or shattered glass. You know, <laughs> just like, what is this? And that's what I love about those those covers, especially. But um, are there any other horror titles you can throw out there for people uh, who'd want to check marks, out? Black marks, black marks, golden, werewolf, werewolves, werewolf. Yeah, that's a werewolf book. Black nice. marks, Peter Very Olden. Nice. Awesome. Um, um, and you know, dog walker is that uh, what's what's dog walker? Walker is like. 
and John a dies at the end kind of book. Okay, okay. It's uh, funny and weird. It's got some yeah. horror elements, but it's not a really a horror book. Um, but it's a hoot. I love that book. It's a fabulous book. I wish more be more people had read or listened to that book um, <laughs> because it's great. Um, what else? Well, I will I add like it to my wish list. One or other. You know the the. The death right stuff has a little bit of horror. I just did yeah. uh, Comanche, which is borderline horror. It's like ghost story almost. It's got some horror horror elements. And um, E.A. Copen's got a new series called um, uh, the Felix Cross Case Files, and I just did the first book for that, Shadows Over Hemlock, which is much more horror than Death Rites. That whole series, um, nice. and that was that was also a lot of fun. All right. Cool. Very cool. <clears throat> Excuse me. <laughs> yeah, that's me every morning. The, every the booth morning. And, the booth crud. <laughs> yeah, every morning when I, because I, I'll try to do a little bit before I head into the uh, upstairs to my upstairs office. Uh, I try to end it every morning. It's the same thing. Um, and uh, before before we sign off, you do have a um, a new a couple. What's what's your latest releases here? And what's what's that one? Uh, giant giant. Giant uh, Lands? Giant Lands. Giant, Giant Lands. Lands. Yeah, Aaron Oster. That one's fun. Um, uh, game lit, basically. Um, I, I guess I could just sort by new. Uh, new beginning <laughs> after the end book. Um, the beginning after the end series. I think the sixth one just came out. Um, Catalyst just came out. Was the uh, second in a fantasy series for Aethon. Um, God, what else? Oh, Hella. Hella. Great, oh, great Hella title. came out. Yeah, Hella came out. Um, <laughs> that was relatively recent. Um, and a, a, a new one in Tao Wong's um, Thousand Lee series, um, Arsenal. The That's the big crossover book with Mountaindale. That one just came out like a week, couple weeks ago, I think. Um, awesome. Well, I mean, you look, you look through your, you know, <clears throat> your, your list of books here, and it's definitely... Um, I love kind of seeing how where certain narrators fall on the genre spectrum and you look through your stuff and, you know, I think people are going to find a lot of things uh, that, that, that they like and a lot of things to kind of keep, you know, finding more and more the, you start unraveling that, uh, the, the ugly, the ugly Cosby sweater, unravel that uh, thread <laughs> and uh, find more and more and more from Travis Baldry. So <clears throat> I, I shouldn't reference Cosby these days, but you know, it's the first thing that popped into mind. Well, at least you said ugly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. <laughs> All right, Travis. Well, thank you so much for your time and chatting with me about your audiobooks and your process. Um, really appreciate it. And hopefully yeah, people thanks. found a lot to, to dig to dig thanks, on. Thanks, Sean. All right. Um I'm horrible at wrapping up podcasts. So I'm just gonna we'll fade out to music right there. Um, um. <laughs> I'll talk to all of you next time. Bye bye. Oh man. <laughs>